Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast about UK-German friendship, past, present and future. My name is Birgit Maas and I will be guiding you through today's culture edition. But before I turn to our guest, Neil McGregor, I'd like to ask Ambassador Michaelis to start us off with his impressions about the cultural dimension about German-British relations. Thank you very much. German-British relations have a depth and intensity, which are nowadays taken for granted across the entire spectrum of what we define as culture, our way of life, including vibrant academic and artistic exchange. There is a risk we might forget that this relationship did not materialize overnight, that it needs investment and commitment, as well as the will and curiosity to engage with each other. This is why I would like to encourage people from all walks of life in Germany and the UK to stay connected. My favorite German composer is Georg Friedrich Handel. Handel with an umlaut, that is, the two dots on the A, if you know what I mean. My favorite German opera is Handel's Drama per Musica, Circe. But I need to be careful what I say here. The 15th edition of Encyclopedia Britannica lists Handel, Handel without an umlaut, that is, as a German-born British composer. Anglo-German affinities can manifest themselves in many ways. In the case of Handel, we German and British people seem to be so proud of a musical genius that we are both keen to claim him as a fellow countryman. From Hans Holbein the Younger to Sir Simon Rattle, I hear people say, we just got him back in Munich. We have constantly influenced each other. The ideal world is one where we change our perspective so quickly that these national attributions do not matter anymore. Look at the Romantic movement here and in Germany. Only 200 years ago, this movement invented what we mean by national or by our national or cultural identity. But at the same time, they also transcended it. This period saw a unique connectedness between us. I cannot think of anybody more suitable to speak about our cultural connectedness than Neil McGregor, distinguished British art historian. I'm delighted that you have agreed to be part of the first very special culture edition of our new embassy podcast series, Staying Connected. You have been a very good friend of Germany and the embassy for a long time. As director of the British Museum, you were the mastermind of a hugely successful exhibition, Germany, Memories of a Nation. The German government enlisted you to help bring its flagship cultural project, the Humboldt Forum, to fruition. Who better to help us explore the rich texture of cultural connections that our countries have thrived on over centuries? Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Professor. So, so, Neil McGregor, you're really are one of the leading figures of cultural exchange between Britain and Germany. You put a VW Beetle in the middle of the British Museum and the middle of the iconic cultural institution in London. 
when you organize that show, Germany, Memories of a Nation, the big show about Germany, and somebody said you were trying to paint a portrait of the German soul. Why is that? Why are you so interested in Germany? Uh, it's partly a personal thing that I went to Germany as a teenager to learn German, to stay with the German family, and completely fell in love with Hamburg, as it was. Um, and uh, I was also fascinated by the fact that Hamburg was very clear that it was different from other German cities and other parts of Germany. And the range of differentness inside Germany fascinated me then, much greater than in Britain, uh, and still does, just how different the different parts of Germany have always been, and still are. And I've always been fascinated by the way Germany has been able to construct a unity, a state, a nation, and yet respect and manage all those real differences. It makes it a very different kind of country from any other in Europe. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is just that it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very enjoyable place to be. Um, and again, at a personal level, it was the first time I'd really been free to behave like a grown-up, which I wasn't. Um, and uh, it's a place where people today still feel, I think, you can go to Germany to enjoy yourself. And particularly what Berlin has become for the young of Europe um, symbolizes, I think, why so many people are interested in what Germany is now. So there is a renewed interest, you would say, of Germany also in the UK, maybe? Oh, I think so. Um, I mean, the, the great phenomenon, I think, about the German-British cultural relations of the last uh, 20, 30 years has been the transformation from thinking of Germany essentially in terms of the Second World War and that memory to engaging with Germany now. You can see it very clearly, I think, if you look at the, that wonderful German word, uh, Revolverblatt. <laughs> Um, the, the, the tabloid, it's a much better word in German, um, the, uh, the tabloid press, the Revolverblatt of 30, 40 years ago was still making really terrible jokes, uh, only just jokes about the Second World War. All that has now changed. At that stage, very few people would have been reading contemporary German literature, thinking about uh, German culture in, in a bigger way. Now, novels like Bernhard Schlick's The Reader was perhaps the turning point where a contemporary German book really became a bestseller in England. Daniel Kahlman writing about the measuring of the world. Nothing to do with the war, a totally different Germany. Again, becomes a bestseller. And in the streaming, in the TV, the Netflix world that we've all been living in for the last 18 months, uh, Generation War, Babylon Berlin, I mean, these have become enormously popular things. People engage with Germany as it is now in a quite different way. And I think that you would agree with this. You've lived in England, so you know uh, how it works from the other side. It seems to me that three things have really changed the way everybody in Britain effectively now thinks about Germany. And it's left the Second World War behind. Um, the first is, is football, I mean, quite simply. Um, not just the enormous success of the German football team, but also the particular German football teams showing the diversity of modern Germany. Uh, in particular, of course, the strong Turkish-German population, but a much more diverse Germany. This is uh, a cosmopolitan community. 
engaged in, in, in the sport that everybody is fascinated by. Um, the second thing, I suppose, I, I would argue, uh, is simply the phenomenon of Chancellor Merkel, uh, that she has now for so long been the most respected and most trusted foreign politician uh, for the British public. They don't know very much about German internal politics. I'm sure most of them don't really know or care what particular policies of the CDU are. But they see in Chancellor Merkel a politician who is truthful, never uses immoderate language, patient, a long-term problem solver, and they admire that. That's really a very new phenomenon at all, I think, to one foreign politician so admired. And then the third factor, I think, is simply Berlin. The fact that for the young of Europe, and certainly the young of Britain, if you want to go somewhere to have fun, to enjoy yourself, there's only one European city. Um, it's not London, it's not Paris, <laughs> it's Berlin. <laughs> and the, so I, I think we're in a very good position. Things have moved enormously. Um, and I think our, the, the question is how we keep that going. So from the picture you're painting, it's you know, the Germany that's interested in maybe a stability. Britain is in the process of redefining itself um, into global Britain. And yet, is there anything that you feel really still links the two countries, particularly when we're looking from a cultural perspective? Oh, I think the, in, in cultural terms, um, music is a very obvious one. And the ambassador mentioned the role of Simon Rattle. That is unique, I think. Um, this is somebody who is, has equal status in both countries and moves backwards and forwards. Um, the ease with which professionals in the cultural world move between the two countries is, I think, now something we all take for granted. My successor as director of the British Museum is, is a German. Uh, Hartwig Fischer. Nobody thought that was particularly strange because a few years before the director of the Victorian Albert Museum had been the German Martin Vogt. Um, and it goes in both directions. These links, I think, are very, very strong. Well, but yet they are also in peril because musicians can't travel so easily back and forth due to Brexit. I mean, It's musicians are really danger. worried. I think, I think we should be very worried because the ease with which uh, musicians of all sorts I mean, classical and uh, popular and cultural performers of all sorts have been able to move back and forwards. That is clearly in danger. And in there, I think one has to be, has to work very hard. The ambassador was saying, one can't take this for granted. And that's a real challenge, I think, for the cultural world in both countries to put pressure on governments to ensure that that kind of exchange can continue. And if we let the object tell the story, which is something that you are a specialist in, you're um, telling stories through objects in the museum, which cultural object best identifies where Germany and the UK are heading respectively and also maybe jointly? Um, let me start first of all with a negative one, if you like. And it's a strange cultural object because I would say it's the year 1940. <laughs> uh, one of the remarkable things about uh, British politics of the last uh, 20, 30 years has been the growing reference in politics to the Second World War. And 1940 has become the critical moment. 
I think it's interesting this because it's not a moment, uh, the way in which it's interpreted is no longer a moment of hostility to Germany as it was um, a generation ago. It's about Britain being alone and being able to manage alone. Um, in fact, a complete fantasy. Uh, Britain needed a great deal of help to survive in 1940. But that is becoming, becoming a very profound part of the political rhetoric that Britain can manage alone because in 1940 it did. And that's a cultural phenomenon and it's borne out by films like Dunkirk, by current focus of particular aspects of Churchill, which I think is separating the two countries. <laughs> the fact that Britain can do things on its own. Um, in terms of what we're doing together, um, I think it's much harder to focus on a particular event or a particular object. Um, I would focus, I think, on film and a phenomenon like Babylon Berlin, um, because the success of that, again, I think wouldn't really have been possible uh, a few years ago. And I think that engagement with film culture, uh, particularly series culture, um, is, is a very positive sign and one that's growing. How would you say is Germany and, and Britain, how are we different and how we define our culture, our res res respective culture? How does Germany look to its past in, in opposition where how Britain looks at its past? That's, I think, where many people in Britain would regard Germany as uh, an example that they wish we could follow. Um, the recent debates about uh, Black Lives Matter, about the colonial history of Britain, the renewed intensity of discussions about Ireland make it clear how difficult the British have found it to look at the parts of their history which are uncomfortable um, and look at them openly, taking the overview and then drawing the consequences. Everyone would, I think, admire the way Germany has addressed its own histories, um, particularly, of course, the history of the Third Reich, also the, the way the histories of the, of the German Democratic Republic and how those have been turned into a new kind of public discourse. Uh, that is, I think, hugely admired. And again, to stay with film, the popularity of films like The Lives of Others or Goodbye Lenin um, demonstrate, I think, how strong a resonance that has with the British public. They admire this way of thinking about your past. We find that much harder. And I think that's part of our difficulty at the moment in sorting out our national identity. I think the other thing British admire very much is, to go back to where I began, Germany's capacity to construct a constitution, an idea of self that embraces traditions as different as the Bavarian or the Hamburg one, uh, the Prussian one, or the Rhineland one. These are great, this is something we are struggling with. And I think that political model is something that is of enormous interest to people. 
But isn't Germany maybe also sometimes overtly critical with, with itself? I mean, you are the founding director of the Humboldt Forum, which is the hugely ambitious project of a new cultural institution in Berlin. And there was so much controversy about it. And, and, and many people didn't feel, frankly, comfortable with, uh, with, with this new museum. Are, are Germans very critical of, of themselves and their own history? Working at the Humboldt Forum Berlin was uh, an enormously interesting uh, and exciting thing to do. What I found so fascinating there was precisely this difficulty that many Germans still feel, even very young Germans, in finding aspects of the history of which to be properly proud. There's a great reluctance on the part of all Germans, I think, effectively all Germans, to say this is part of a German tradition and it's a great and a noble thing. I found that perplexing because the two Humboldt brothers, in the way they looked at the world, thought about the world, seemed to me to be exemplary. There was no imperial ambition in it. There was no greed in it. It was a desire to understand the complexity of the world, both the natural world and how people live and think about that world. But it's very difficult to persuade Germans to talk about that with pride and want to tell the rest of the world about it. I think this has been a great disadvantage for Europe. Europe needs the contribution of the German cultural traditions, like those of the two brothers Humboldt. Um, when Alexander von Humboldt died in the second half of the 19th century. He was one of the most famous men in the world. The wars of the 20th century have blotted out a great deal of what Germany gave to Europe. And one of us has now is to recover it. You talked about, about the, the, the German, working in the Humboldt Forum, I was struck by the reluctance to talk about the good things of German history and the extremely rigorous, self-critical approach to the darker passages. The colonial debate has been a very striking example. You talk about the fact that Germans are very self-critical in their approach to their history. That again, I find admirable. Um, in the question of the colonial history, uh, which relates to collections and museums, this has, I think, a very disturbing consequence. The Germans are properly aware that their imperial adventure had a criminal, murderous, brutal side, just as did the British and the French colonial adventure. But the way that is now worked out in Berlin, I fear, is that the focus on those objects, the only thing that those objects are thought to be telling us is about German behaviour. Whereas in fact, the purpose of those objects in Berlin is to tell us about an African experience. How did African people live in Africa at that moment? That's why they came. The circumstances of the objects coming are important to know and they must be acknowledged. But the purpose of the objects is to tell us about Africa, not to lead us back to a debate about European bad behaviour. And I think there is a danger that the 
discussion in Germany uh, of the wrongs of the colonial period make it harder for us to think of the world from the African point of view then and now. I mean, what did it look like to them before the Germans came, before the Europeans arrived? How did they understand the world? Because that's the purpose of a great museum collection. It lets you think of the world differently as other people think about it. And that's the one area in which I worry about the German focus on their own historic wrongdoings. And I think it could blot out the no less important question that there are other ways of thinking about the world and the objects from Africa in the Berlin collections allow us to enter that other world. So in a way, how you're describing is makes the German seem quite self-centered. And, and maybe that's something that unites with, with Britain because it's self-centered but in a different way. Uh, I wouldn't use the word self-centered as self-absorbed. <laughs> I think in both countries, the debates about the rest of the world lead back to a very intense debate about ourselves. And that is that can't be good. Um, we, we have to think about how other people are thinking about the world, about us. We, the whole point of being a global collection, a global museum, or being a Weltbürger, <laughs> is to be able to think the world from somewhere else, as other people think it. But in both countries, we have allowed, I think, our engagement with our history to bring us back to ourselves now. On a maybe more day-to-day -day basis, you were an Englishman in Berlin. A Scot. Um, oh, I'm sorry, a Scot in Berlin. It's very different, and that's precisely why, as a Scot, I so admire what Germany is able to do, because the United Kingdom clearly struggles to accommodate the differences between Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and England in a constitutional arrangement. Um, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. And in cultural terms, this is, I think, one of the huge shifts in Britain in the last 30 years, is how much harder we now find that accommodation of difference. Germany is, of course, the great model, which is why as a Scot in Berlin, I feel particularly at ease. Because Germany basically can incorporate different identities, and that's something that the UK is struggling with at the exactly. moment. And on a sort of day-to-day -day basis, as a Scotsman in Berlin, how did you find being there, working there? There is a huge fondness in Germany of all things British. Um, did you experience that? Or was there anything also that surprised you maybe when you were there, living there on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, firstly, the the welcome, the, the openness to having foreigners coming to work uh, in Berlin, in Germany, and to work on important German projects with German colleagues. Uh, the, the level of acceptance, and the warmth of the acceptance, um, I found very moving um, and surprised me. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed, and is always one that I've been fascinated by in Germany. It's become very important to us all now in COVID is the capacity of the Germans to socialize out of doors in freezing weather. Um, now that we all have to meet our friends outside in a northern climate, the amazing ability of Germans to sit uh, in traveling rugs and in high chairs in very, very low temperatures 
and enjoy themselves. That is the model for the whole of Europe. Um, and if we don't get the pandemic sorted out, we're going to have to make even greater efforts to be like the Germans in our ability to have fun in the cold. <laughs> Anything you found strange? Initially, of course, the, the number of bicycles on the pavements. Um, that, uh, <laughs> that was very strange, but the pavements are very big. And I know you're also a cyclist. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I was very, I, I liked that. Um, the biggest thing, uh, without question, the biggest thing I found strange in, in working in the, in the Humboldt Forum um, was the, the culture of work, culture in a different sense, about how you reach agreements. Um, in a British system, there's a very clear uh, hierarchy of decision-making and the provided there's been a discussion, that's usually then the decision gets made. The willingness of everyone to spend such a lot of time to reach a consensus, I was very impressed by. I mean, this is, I've, I believe, the long inheritance, the wonderful inheritance of the Holy Roman Empire. The fact that you, the Germans have had centuries of experience of sharing power, getting agreements in order to do things together. Um, and uh, it's also, of course, a, a horror of 1933 to 1945, the idea of central power being imposed. But the willingness to discuss for a long time until we got to a consensus, which was usually a better decision than would have been made faster. That is very different. Um, the discussions take much, much longer. And even though there's a general sense of direction, the, the, the capacity to keep talking until there's a real agreement, um, I found uh, exhausting, <laughs> sometimes frustrating, but very, very admirable and uh, something that I'm very glad to have lived. That leads me to my last question. If you had one wish granted for the relationship between the UK and Germany, what would you wish for? Far more exchange of young people. Uh, we have a real problem with language, but foreign languages are simply not learned in Britain very much. Uh, but what changes everything is exchange people spending time together regularly. Um, and that's why the loss of the Erasmus programme is so serious. Uh, but there are lots of ways that that can be, uh, there are lots of other ways of doing that and it needn't just be for students. The, the thing I would most wish is that more people spend more time in the other country regularly. Neil McGregor, thank you very much. Thank you.